Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. Now, for those of you who follow my Instagram, this is my private Instagram at Sneakus. For firecracker, it's at firecrackerdept, of course. But one thing I do every once in a while is I post one of the art pieces that I'm working on, my collage art. And this past month, I posted one that I did for my buddy Avra that was entitled Courage, My Love. And so it started me thinking about courage and bravery and what a wuss I can be. <laughs> I can be such a wuss. Like I want things to be easier. Honest to God, the other day I had a dream. This is absolutely no word of a lie. I had a dream that Matt and I were in an improv scene and we were playing two snails. And I woke myself up saying, why does this have to be so hard? <laughs> I woke myself up that way. If you're a dream interpreter, I'll take all the ideas you might have. I think I can make excuses for why I don't do creative things that maybe challenge me to be more vulnerable. Phoebe Waller-Bridge has said that whatever scares you, that's what you should write. And I was like, oh, nothing scares me. And that's so not true. There's a whole bunch that scares me. And I gotta lean into that stuff. I want it to be the ear of the artist. So I'm trying to step into more bravery. And it was so sweet because people on my Instagram were like, oh, we think you're really brave. And I mean, I can be, but I think I also can be a wuss. What hat do you wear? I think we all wear both hats at some point or another, but I'm trying to remind myself to step into bravery, in discussions that might be tricky, in creating art that might cause me to be vulnerable, in stepping into things that scare me. I'm gonna exercise that muscle. I gotta get stronger in the brave department, for sure. What about you? I'd love to hear what you think about bravery. At Firecracker D-E-P-T on our platforms and firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com if you wanna send me an email. We always write back to everyone because we just love you. We love the engagement. We love our community, so right away. Now, speaking of brave people, oh, I just love this person so much. Here is a message from our wonderful core member and the host with the most of our brunches, Anita McFarlane. Hi, firecrackers. It's Anita McFarlane, your friendly neighborhood firecracker department community virtual brunch host. <laughs> That's a lot of words. You know, the weekly brunch is what enticed me into the fabulous firecracker department. Community is everything to me, and now I'm proud to be a core member hosting brunch, moderating writing bursts, and I'm a team member in the wellness department. If community is your jam, then please consider this a personal invitation from me to you to join us on a Sunday. Where the conversation goes, nobody knows, but it's a safe and welcoming space to hang out with fellow firecrackers, chatting about what's on our minds, what we are cooking up these days in our creative lives and in the kitchen, sharing tech info, talking about shows we like. Heck, we even talk about the weather because we're gathering from all around the world. Brunch is 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern time, and 5 p.m. UK time. And if you go to the Firecracker Department Members Club Facebook page, you will find the link to join the Zoom meeting each Sunday because there is definitely a place at the brunch table for you. Oh, thanks, Anita. See what I mean? You know, we have folks like that in our core that just speak from their heart and are just infinitely supportive. You kind of feel like you can do anything with people like that in your corner, truly. Okay, now on to our guest this week. I am so jazzed to share this voice with you. It is Toronto-based, award-winning comedian, actor, activist, 
emerging playwright and podcaster, Martha Chavez. Martha describes herself as, this is a quote, the most famous LGBTQ Nicaraguan Canadian stand-up comic in the world. And you know what? I couldn't agree more. I first met Martha, boy, we have these weird encounters, Martha and I. One point I had a clothing swap and Martha turned up and I was like, I love Martha Chavez. Why don't I get to hang out with her all the time? We tried on clothes. This is the guarantee at my clothing swaps. Everybody leaves with an outfit. Whether or not it's the right outfit for you and you may just pass it on to somebody else, you're gonna leave with an outfit. And boy, we had such laughs there, mostly because of Martha. Who's kidding who? And then we did another comedy festival together up in Sault Ste. Marie, and that was just a joy as well because, you know, you're backstage in the green room. Where else would you rather be than backstage in a green room at a comedy festival with somebody like Martha Chavez? Yeah, exactly. It was fantastic. We had so, so much fun. So any chance I get to hang out with Martha, I just jump at. So having this opportunity of having just like one-on-one -on -one time with her, the best. Now, Martha first came to Montreal to study at Concordia University, and when her student visa expired, she couldn't return to Nicaragua to reunite with her family because they had to flee during the Contra War. So she had to claim refugee status in Montreal and has been in Canada since then. We talk about this in our chat, so I'm not going to tell you anymore, but her story is incredible. Throughout Canada, Martha is known for her coast-to-coast -coast stand up tours, tailor-made corporate shows, two national comedy specials, CBC's Comics and Something About Martha on the Comedy Network. She makes regular appearances on CBC's Laugh Out Loud, the Just for Laughs Festival, Winnipeg Comedy Festival and CBC's The Debaters. She's also a regular on the hit CBC show Because News. Yeah, she does it all. You may also recognize Martha on the big screen with Denzel Washington in John Q, with Chris Rock in Down to Earth, and with 50 Cent in Get Rich or Die Trying. As an emerging playwright, Martha has written and performed several successful one-woman shows like Staying Alive and In Times of Trouble, featuring in the Solo Festival and the Aluna Theatre Festival in Toronto, and she took the Diaries of a Young Lesbo to New York City's Solocom. Martha won Stand-Up Comic of the Year at the 2018 Canadian Comedy Awards. Her album Chunky Salsa was featured among the top 11 best comedy albums of 2019 in Bang magazine. Yeah, she's on fire. When Feminists Rule the World is Martha Chavez's podcast series where she talks to international feminist guests about the future that they are creating. She does it all and she does it with Martha. You know what I mean? It should be a verb. Just be a little bit more Martha. All right, here's my chat with Martha Chavez. <gasps> Hola! It is so good to see you. I am so happy for this time together. Yeah. I love your uh, firecracker. It is you know, every, it's a great thing. You know, it feels good to be doing something like this right now, not only my career, but the pandemic it's given me a place to put my creative energy but also like it feels so good to have somebody like you who I know a little bit from sharing <laughs> a stage you know in a comedy festival when we do improv and you do stand up I don't know if people know the half of your background you know they see you as one thing they see you as a funny person and then there's this whole other complicated yeah. story in the back yes and I always tell this story about how we said that I ended up in Canada but I can tell you, I was a refugee. I, I came as a student, 
But because my parents had to go in exile while I was here, my student visa expired and I was on immigration limbo and through friends who were from Nicaragua too and were going through the same thing, we found out that because of the circumstances of our parents, we could apply for political refugee status. Thinking about my story, I always thought that, eh, no big deal. Right. But thinking about how I ended up yeah. in show business yeah, in a country that is not even my country with no connections. And the language is even in your first language. Exactly. And, and I never did comedy in my first language because I was 17 when I came here, 16 yeah. and then... 17 when I started my process and everything, but I both of political refugee status and everything. So it's been a life of really achieving things on my own. What's your favorite way of being introduced? My favorite way is depending on who I am with on the lineup. Like if I am with big shows like you and Matt <laughs> and all of that, yes. I want to no have problem. an introduction that I have had some sort of credits. Right. If I am in, in a show, it's just like, you know, here is a friend of mine, Marta Chavez, she's funny, whatever, on stage, you know, like in some shows I like my credits yeah. because people get impressed about credits. Yeah, but they don't get impressed about, like being a female no. in comedy isn't a credit. It's just no, who it's I am. No, and sometimes these, these pricks, they, they have introduced me. This is this young lady coming on uh, stage. Uh. <laughs> God, don't I you hate that, that young me, lady bullcrap? I, I hate it. But, but I love it because they call me the other lady and I show up, you know, in my own, <laughs> in, in my splendor of chronologically gifted woman. <laughs> right. But I want to go back for a second because that moment of you, like, arriving in Canada, you're 17 years old. You didn't think that you would stay. You thought you'd eventually go back, but then there yes, was a I moment. I, 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 like many of my yeah. Nicaraguan counterparts or other Nicaraguan students, because are you from where? I'm first generation Canadian. Yeah, my father was Lithuanian and my mom was British, but mm -hmm. I was born in Canada. So you know about immigrants, right? Yes, like so my parents we, were immigrants. So when immigrants come, especially, we, we came at the time that in our country, there was a, a turmoil. There was a revolution going. Mm -hmm. Our parents sent us away, I think, for protection, me for other reasons too. I was dabbling in lesbianism <laughs> and my they, mother thought. They huh? sent you away because you were dabbling in lesbianism? Yeah, yes, and you know, my mother wanted to separate me from the person. Right. So she sends me to Montreal. <laughs> wow. But you weren't oh. even, were you even out at the time of leaving? No, I, I've been thinking about how is it that one comes out to oneself? Yeah. I never was interested in boys ever. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. I knew that I was different. I went to an all girls school, so having crushes on little girls and nuns was normal. Right. But, uh, but, yeah, but we all uh, had crushes on nuns, Martha. All nuns, yeah. yeah. If it wasn't uh, Julie Andrews, it was somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. You, I, I could imagine them lifting the veil and to see whether they were short hair or were not short hair. Like I knew that I was different. I knew. But I, and I was in love with the person that they separated me from. Uh, but um, I mean, young, young love. You don't know. I didn't know then when I was in Nicaragua how this was going to develop. Right. I thought that it was something that was going to pass. That right. one day there was going to come a boy that I liked a lot. I thought just the idea of my parents saying, and then you're going to get married. But my mother was a lawyer, so she wanted education first. Yeah. It was very hard for her. She became a lawyer in the yeah. 1950s. 
Here yes. in Nicaragua, yes. like the first, the first generation of women lawyers yeah. in Nicaragua with the scholarships because she came from a poor family. It's a whole story, right? So my mm -hmm. mother wanted education. So there was the, the marriage thing was not pushed. Then when I come to Canada and I come to Montreal and, and you know, Montreal is, is Disneyland for lesbians, yeah. you know. <laughs> 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 and I go to my first gay bar, and, uh, and I, because in Nicaragua, when I went to anything remotely that was a gay bar, was like a house of somebody right. where a lot of these characters were gay. Some of them were very low in the in the because it's very classist. The the country is very classist. Some of them own. A, a horror house, let's say. Yeah. Some of them were from a rich, rich family, and it was kind of like we are perverts, you know. Right. But when I go right. to my first gay bar and I hold my my first girlfriend Giovanna hand, and it was like you know, it was like this new thing that heterosexual women go this when they hold the hands of their first boyfriend. Yeah, so, you know, like. But it was at the same time I knew that I had to hide it from my other, for my Nicaraguan friends. Right. But I, I loved, I loved the fact being in Canada, my parents were sent, they paid for my university the first yeah. year. And then they said that when they had to leave, they left with nothing from Nicaragua. Yeah. And they said, well, you have to come back. But the thing is I couldn't go back. I, I didn't have papers where they were in Guatemala. Right. And I and I couldn't go back to Nicaragua. So then the other Nicaraguan students, they helped me with uh, the notion that there was something called political refugee status. Right. At the beginning, I had a tendency to hang out also with a lot of Latinos. Immigrants, you hang out with your own, right? Yes, right. So, so like yeah. all the students, the Nicaraguan students were like that in limbo. The Nicaraguan currency went lower than low. Yeah. And they, get, they couldn't send us anything. I so we all lived together. We found jobs as a babysitting and cleaning houses yeah. and uh, the people I babysat, they loved me. The little boy loved me and because I was all alone without family, I loved them. And he sent me to a human rights lawyer by the name of Julius Gray, the guy who actually defended Mike Ward. Okay. From, wow. You know that case, Mike Ward? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's wild. It's wild. So then he said, well, yeah, we're going to go through the process. And then I was in limbo waiting yeah. whether they were going to give me the refugee status. I never knew anything about that, something called welfare. I never knew I, living in as a babysitter. And then yeah. I met Giovanna. And then we moved in together. And then I didn't want to go back anywhere because no. I had discovered that in this country I didn't have to hide. Yeah. Yeah. We, we never a moment that you were... Like, I mean, when I pictured like a, me at 17, if I was told, you know, I couldn't go back, I can imagine feeling an element of freedom, but it, I could also imagine feeling scared too, that that yeah, was your, of your family, I'm of course. Scared and I, and it, besides, I came in December. This is, it is, was incredibly cold. I come yeah. from the, from the a tropical country. I came in December to Montreal. I remember that I used to, to go, to go to, from my apartment to Concordia University, it was just, uh, I don't know if you know Montreal. I do, yeah. There is the uh, Guy Station yep. in St. Matthew. Yep, yep. That is very close, yeah. but I used to pay just to walk to the other side. 
I did, you know what I mean? I don't know what it was. It was, right. it was a total cultural shock. But I, I have this ability, and I think that's what it has uh, worked for me in my life, is this ability of going to survival mode. Yeah, that experience of being in Montreal, do you think that taught you survivor mode? Or do you think you learned that at another time? What was the thing that you came out of that chapter of your life going, oh, I, I learned that aspect? Well, I, I the the thing is that I well I had already when I came here we I had already survived the earthquake with my family yeah. and the the whole thing of the revolution and having a military curfew and all of these things we always live in this state of emergency yeah. since 1972 and I came here in 1978 when the application of the refugee status and everything all I wanted was to help my parents by not being a burden. Mm -hmm. By not going back to Guatemala, because when they arrived in Guatemala, they went to relatives' house and they went to live in a convent. They left with their clothes on their backs. They, they, they no, I didn't want to be a burden. And then I met Giovanna. Do you keep in touch with Giovanna? Yeah, she lives in Florida. So the thing is, it's the only ex-girlfriend that I keep in touch with. All of, yeah. Because lesbians usually keep in touch with all of their ex-girlfriends. With all of them, but all the other ones were swear. Like I have classified them as psycho. You know? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, but, yeah, but I can I understand even, not wanting to keep in touch with but those the folks. Thing is, the thing is that uh, I had angels. Like, like I mean, I, I, I am agnostic, but I, I do think that, that there, are, there are some people that protect you. Like, for yeah. example, yeah. that family for whom my baby sat. Yes. Giovanna, I had people that in my in my life helped me but it, when it comes to show business i don't know if you had people in your life in show business that helped you to further your career and stuff like uh, but i always admire julia louis dreyfus mm -hmm. but she had her father would she have had the, the door open to be the wonderful person to, to exploit her talent if her yeah. father wasn't there. You obviously had a hunger, as you said, to not be a burden on your family. I'm just so curious because you could have turned into a, like a professional grump, you know, somebody who was grumpy all the time, but you turned into a <laughs> professional comedian. Like, how did you <laughs> take that path of struggle and turn it into comedy? Was there a comedy always in your vision? My family, my mother especially, was always funny. Yeah. Like she would hold court at the house, like women did. Yeah. And, like, and then her co-workers would come and friends would come. And then afterwards, we would imitate them and then tell stories. Uh -huh. Like it was a crazy family. I come from a, from a very eccentric, if you will, family. I'm so surprised, Martha. <laughs> I'm so surprised. But that, that, no, I didn't. Like I wanted to be... Because my ability was with languages. Yeah, three or four languages at this point. Yes, but I studied, that's what I studied. Imagine, yeah. I work at Le Chateau uh, during the day. I, I work, it was like when, that was like my first, after the babysitting, my first job at Le Chateau. I had punk haircut, purple. Yeah. You know, and then the clothes at Le Chateau at the time, it was the 80s, right? Like they yeah. at the time were crazy. And I remember they would go, Let's say that Latin customers came to the store and I, I would hear in the in the speakers, in the loudspeakers, I would hear, la petite Mexican, where is the little Mexican? Me, because I mean, I could speak Spanish with the customers and I didn't even think that was racist. I didn't know that that was racist. 
the little Mexican. But I didn't even know that the calling me the little Mexican was racist. Right. I didn't know that. So I work at Le Chateau and I, uh, I went to night school. I studied modern languages and linguistics. I never finished the degree, mm -hmm. but I did work uh, translating under somebody else, you know, like right. I would help them with the translation. And then I work with the expos. I work as a dental assistant. And I, like the comedy came later, like, you know, they opened the humor. I was obsessed with comedy being in Montreal. Yeah. Who are your heroes that you're watching at the time? My hero, hero, hero at the time was Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I didn't know how stand-up comedy worked. I didn't know. I just saw that this guy just just talked about from the top of his head. Yeah, I yes. didn't know that there was a process of writing and all that. I loved Lily Love Tomlin. Yes, I loved yes, Lily yes. Tomlin. Yeah. But stand-up per se, I, I started consuming like in 1989, 1980, okay. 1990, that I started going to the comedy works, the comedy nest. And then I was working as a tour guide for the Expos Latin American Wives. No, right. I have had an interest life I you tell you. really have I mean <laughs> I just love this conversation so much like if you said oh I was a part-time surgeon for a while over in China I'd be like I can I bet she was who knows no but you know like uh, the things that I, that the people always told me that I was funny of course I never thought it in remotely that I uh, this was something that I could do professionally yeah but I took a course with Andy Newman in just for love uh -huh. he, he had a course at Concordia University then after I took a, when I studied that, and then I, I took a course with Mike Nemeroff, another comic, and the graduation was that you had to do five minutes Great. at the Comedy Nest, you know, yeah. like, and then I repeated the same five minutes. I know that- What was your joke? What was your favorite joke? I ever said is, hi, I'm Marta Chavez, very, very shy. I'm Marta Chavez, I'm originally from Nicaragua, and I know that you're thinking that I have an awful accent, and I don't give a shit. <laughs> that, that was your goal. That was your goal. That that launched you I, I'm a visible minority and I am an audible minority. And then I think I'm the ultimate minority because I'm a woman. I'm Hispanic. I am horizontally and vertically challenged. And at the time, I wasn't speaking about sexuality because I was not, uh, not that I wasn't on purpose. I wasn't uh, hiding or or that I was homophobic. It's just that the teachers, the people that instructed me told me that I had a lot just explaining to the crowd my ethnicity. You've got enough going on. Don't I worry have, about yourself. I have a lot of material that I have a lot explained. <laughs> Let's wait for the next decade to work on that material. Exactly, because remember, this is 1994. There right. was there there was no you know until now there is another Latino doing comedy Marito yeah. Lopez until now yeah. so in those days it was like a complete exotic rarity in Montreal yeah Martha you could have like just stuck it out at you know the different jobs that you had at Le Chateau carried on being the funny person in the retail store but what was the thing that you were like no I want more I want to go for higher things. Well, no, well, I didn't really think I want more. It's just that, that when I did that show, I woke up in this like a state. Uh, and in, in reality, I did well because I brought all, you know how it is, you bring all of your friends. 
and that and there were some heckler some strippers that were heckling before yeah but then the the MC told them that I was uh, the only woman on on the lineup it was my first time so please to be gentle in the strippers everything I said well and, the, and so I thought that I did great that this yeah. was like that I was I thought you know imagine how arrogant we can be like comedians yeah. are like stand-ups are oh like that we, we can be I thought that the next day I thought I woke up with a smile like this like mm -hmm. I was in the subway and I was like in this cloud yeah and I you're thought, in love you in love, love. I, I was in love and I thought I'm ready to be in the Letterman show yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah can you imagine how arrogant can you be when in reality you suck at the beginning <laughs> nobody's good at the beginning I know that and I proved that so many times because sometimes there is material that I have retired and sometimes I bring it back and it gets such a great response because it was the material that I repeated and repeated. And right, repeated. so slick. It is true that you need to hone, you need to repeat. I was still working as a translator and I was fortunate, fortunate and not fortunate at the same time, but we were only two women at the time, mm -hmm. Heidi Foss and me. And Ernie Butler, the the owner of the Comedy Nest, liked me, so he put me in a lot of shows. Very soon, I was doing weekends. Mm -hmm. and that I was so he's working out. You were at the comedy gym working. regularly. And I and I was working out. You know, like you know, like the horses that have blinders. Yes. Inside, yes. I didn't care about anything. All I cared was to get better right. in the next yeah. step. The next step. Okay, so now I'm doing weekends. Next, I want to do not only an opener, but I want to do a split middling. Next, I remember the first step to go out of Montreal was to go to Ottawa. And the manager at Ottawa is very strict. To this day, nobody's as good because, you know, he, he nurtured Norm MacDonald. Right. He nurtured Jeremy <laughs> No one is good. So you went there. I go there thinking that I am this big shot. <laughs> You're not good. You have to come back. You have to yeah. come back next weekend and like that. But, you know, it was a little door open. And then, yeah. then it was, let's do a weekend in Ottawa. Yeah. Well, wait a second. Let me ask you this, because the you're no good gets slammed in our face a lot as artists, as comedians, whether it's even like going up in front of an audience and have an audience going, you're no good. Like, yeah. what's the thing that kept getting you back up? What was the thing that kept you with the blinders on? My addictive personality. <laughs> I could. So it, it actually serves you really well in this. Yes, it I, everybody because you brought comedy to us. And it made me happy. The day that I'm not happy anymore, making, entertaining yeah. people, that day I'm going to stop doing it. The yeah. thing is that I, and it also was, I, I think, a validation of all the, the inferiority complexes sure. yeah. that you may have because you're an immigrant, because you have an accent. My aim was with the blinders, right? It was like to get good. I, I had a little booklet uh, because I started reading a lot. I started learning a lot of how the mechanics of comedy work. You yeah. know, like uh, the Jewish So you went into the technical aspects. You weren't just doing like Martha jokes. You were like, why is this funny? You started dissecting it? Yeah, no, learning the technical aspect because mm -hmm. I know that I can ramble. You have heard me rambling here. I can jump from one subject to the other. So I'm you following have... you. It's a wild ride, but I'm following you. Yes, keep but going. You have to have a little structure. So I remember my first comedy book, Judy Carter. 
stand-up comedy, the book. And then once uh, later on in the years, I brought Judy Carter to Montreal for a show and to teach a workshop to well, Judy Carter. And then fortunately, I, I kept this friendship with uh, Andy from Just for Laugh, and he recommended uh -huh. the books or he recommended this teacher. Yeah. I went to New York to have a workshop. I went to Los Angeles and had a workshop. And so who made you do, who made you do Times of Trouble? Because that was like a big step for your career, wasn't it? When you, oh, when that, you created that, that one was on in 2012, I think it was. Okay, so that was way later. Way later, mm -hmm. I did it with Tracy Aaron. All right, Tracy okay. Aaron, you know, like from the yes. solo festival, Tracy Yes, Aaron, yes. Yeah, but that was a lot more serious. serious. So here's here's the thing: like you just have such a self. I mean, I get, I know that you love comedy. I know, but it also is tough. Like this industry is not easy and we have to remind ourselves of why we love it. And I don't know about you, but you know, when you're young, you have your blinders on and you just go, I'm just going to keep going. But every once in a while, the blinder flips open and it can get a little bit, uh, you're discouraged. It's hard oh, yeah, to well, keep yourself back up. Well, tell me some things that kept motivating you. Well, as I was telling you, I had my little book. I started meditating. Oh, a lot. I would meditate, affirmations, breathing, everything, and uh, and then I had this little booklet in which I would give instructions to myself. I always you can you can ask uh, Anna Gustafson, ask her because she knows I know her from 25 years ago. I always tape my set. Now it's very easy because you you just have your phone. I carry humongous VHS thing. Yeah, I yeah. because I knew that I I had problems in the sense that this is not my mother language. Comedy has to do a lot about your ability to use language, mm -hmm. to use the turn of a phrase, mm -hmm. to use uh, the impact of a word and everything. So I taped myself in order to see if what I was saying was um, was what I wanted to say. Right. Because sometimes you, you are on stage and you, and you don't hear the laugh. Is because you, you deliver the joke in another way. You went to like the Martha Chavez School of Comedy. Like you were teaching yourself how to get better by watching yourself, exactly. which is not easy. Like I find it hard enough to watch myself on camera at any way, whether or not I'm dissecting it. But that's so good of you. Well, it, it, is, it isn't easy. It isn't, but, no. but you have to do it. And I, and I have proven myself because Linda, my wife, tells me, why aren't you watching your show? Before you used to watch your show all the time. But then sometimes I thought that I did better than I did, and I didn't want to watch the show. Right. Well, I mean, that's an interesting thing, because yeah. where do you balance the gut versus the technical aspect? I, I separate myself from oh. me. Wow. Like, I, wow. I, I, see it, I see it as a director, because I didn't have any help in reality. All the other women that I was with were not Anglo. They didn't help me with language. Linda helps me with language. Yeah. She, we write together now. And she works for the government. I'm sleeping with the enemy, but the enemy, <laughs> the enemy helps me. So you know, <laughs> so it so works I, out okay. <laughs> it works out, but uh, but uh, so I knew that I have to study harder. That's yeah. why when I see people that are dilettantes, uh, and there are no, they, they don't apply themselves in this uh, craft. It, it bugs me a yeah. little bit. It bugs me. It, uh, it, why? Then, because you think that they they have the power? What's why does it bug you? I think that comedy is communication, mm. or rather, I read somewhere that comedy, that every act of communication is an act of translation. Mm. So I knew that I had to translate Marta Chavez. What is the character Marta Chavez? Mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. to the people that have absolutely no idea what a Marta Chavez is. When I played in uh, clubs far away from the the cosmopolitan metropolis, Toronto and Montreal. Like, yeah. uh, and so far, let's say 17 years on the road or 18 years on the road, so far I have done well, even with people that you would think would be hostile to me. Yeah. And if I didn't do well, because I would imagine that if I went in my head, all oh, these fucking people, I'd have nothing to say to them. Uh, they will hate me. Yeah. Or if I went with that in my head, I, I imagine that it affects your performance. Mm -hmm. But if you go with, I'm going to have fun with these people. Yeah. I'm going to translate Marta Chavez to these people. We will have fun. I do well, even if they didn't, let's say they didn't understand one word I said. <laughs> we had time. There was I mean, a Spanish woman that I didn't understand, but she seems to be having a lot of fun on stage. Yeah. And Who I, taught you that? Because you were brought up by two lawyers. So was that from uh, one of your parents that taught you to the most important thing is to, to have fun? My mother. To, yeah. My mother always, my mother, I, I learned a lot from my mother, although we were so different. But uh, from her spirit, like uh, in Guatemala, after the exile, my father died in 82. Yeah. And uh, my mother was alone with my, I mean, had to raise my, my three siblings on her own in another country. Right. She had lost her profession because she didn't have the equivalences to be yeah. a lawyer in Guatemala. But she yeah. worked yeah. under the protocol, I think you call the protocol of a, like a paralegal, let's say. Okay. She became a lawyer all over again. She got her diploma all over again. She was 65 when she got her, uh, I don't know how you say it in English, the, in Spanish is the equivalences. Like yeah. you're a lawyer in one country, but then you have to, to become a lawyer in another country. Yeah, pass the bar exam again. Is that it? Yeah, something like that. I okay. have at yeah. 65 years old. Uh, she wow. died at 72. But I mean, she was so strong and she, I saw her working so hard. And I said in, in a medium that it was not her medium. I yeah. saw her build her life. And I am the daughter of my mother. Yeah. I yeah. Don't like what you. was your mom's name? <laughs> Gloria. <laughs> Gloria. Because Gloria. I've heard you say, this is something that you've said in past interviews that really resonated with me. You said that you belong to the Church of Laughter. Yes. That to me... At times when I've struggled, you know, with, uh, with depression or darkness, I, I turn to my church of laughter, whether it's watching laughter or finding friends that I can share laughs for, or being able to make people laugh. That's the thing that has taken me out of it. What does it mean to you? To me, it means that every, every tragedy or every pain, like, for example, the pain of being uprooted from your own culture, your family, because even if I didn't want to live with them, because I wouldn't be able to be a lesbitarian with them, you know, <laughs> even yeah. then, but it's also like a piece missing of your puzzle. Yeah. Now it's easier because I talk to them every day on, on uh, WhatsApp. Yeah. Now it's a lot yeah. easier, but before it was, you know, letters or the yes. one phone call every month it was difficult in all all in all i think that laughter saved us and in, in, in nicaragua in a little country that has gone through so many disasters yeah. laughter yeah. is if you go to nicaragua you love the people because if what no matter what is what is it that you're you're going through is happy people yeah i mean don't say that they are happy but you find humor in in a lot of things humor saves was you. there yeah, I mean, I'm such 
I believe in that so, so deeply. Was there a moment that you realized that? Like, was there a moment in your life when you went, oh, actually comedy is saving me right now? Yeah, I think comedy saved me. Yeah, what was the, what was the moment that you realized that? Because it's the only thing that I have really loved, that I had really found a purpose. And at right. the beginning it was, oh, I'm going to get my own sitcom. Because people kept telling me, you could be in a sitcom. I even had great management in, in Los Angeles from that I acquired from Just for Laugh and all of um, and all of that. But the, I had to move to Los Angeles and it never happened. It's a long yeah. story, but it never happened. And at this point in time, what am I going to do if I am a woman of a certain rage at this moment? A certain rage. Yeah. Do you regret that? Do you regret not pushing through in Los Angeles? Sometimes I regret that I didn't push myself, let's say, to se to send a package to this hour has 22 minutes or mm -hmm. to really pursue an acting career, uh, like to go to a formal school in right. which I will really learn acting. I have done acting and everything, but it was a byproduct of the stand-up. And then at one point I didn't want to do it anymore because my agent would call me and she would go, I know you're going to kill me. Do you have your apron ready? And what does you that, mean? What I mean? that for your for the role for the cleaning lady role but is that still happening like god i was really hoping that we were past all the cleaning no lady well roles not not you. anymore but I, when i decided i didn't want to uh, audition anymore it was because it was really nerve-wracking for yeah. me i took courses and, and workshops uh, audition in front of the camera and and the one of uh what was it? Get your head out of your ass. Get your head out of your ass. The, 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 the. What, what was that? What was that method? You I know don't what remember is? that course. I don't know. It's not method acting. It's the other one. Oh, like uh, Meisner? The Meisner. Yeah. Okay. The Meisner. <laughs> get your head out of your ass. Get your head. You I've know what I mean? I've never heard it referred to that way, but I will I, refer I to it that way. I took Meisner courses. I was told that I was good yeah. and everything. But then all of the auditions I did were for stereotypical roles. Yeah. And at one yeah. point, I just said, I, don't, I just don't want to do it anymore. Although it was easier to be the cleaning lady in the movies than in real life. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were making money anyway. But you're not, you're not, I mean, look at your mom, right? She reinvented herself at 63 and you're not 63 yet. So don't you feel like it's not too late? It feels like you have such drive. Oh, oh now I'm determined. I'm coming back to, to audition again. Oh, okay. So you're back on track. Oh, I, so yeah. what took you off track? I, I got discouraged with the acting thing. Yeah. I got yeah. discouraged. I wanted my own my own show. I wanted my own sitcom. I went to Los Angeles in, ex in exploration trips. And you know what? I don't drive. <laughs> I am terrified of driving. Yeah. So there were a lot of things that I wish it would have, they would have been different. But then again, if I had gone to Los Angeles, I would have never met my Linda. And Linda made me happy and I'm happy with her. And all you want is to be happy. Do you want to be famous? Yeah, of course I would like to be famous. I love it when people recognize me in the street because news. Yes. Like I'm at the, the cash paying uh, at, the, at the pharmacy, at the supermarket, and I talk for, you know, before when we didn't have to mask, I would see a face like somebody's realizing that they recognize me. Yeah. And then I go, they go, are you the one? Are you the one on, on uh, because news? Maria! <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I, know. I get introduced. Hey, were you on Dr. D? 
Inductor. Like, oh, yeah. You know, that's, that's a perfect. How long have you and Linda been married? Uh, uh, we have been together 11 years. I call her my wife, but we really haven't got married. Married. We are common law. Yeah. I, I love to call somebody my wife. And I mean, then I have this is my wife. My wife. I did, this is such freedom yeah. to say it about it. Because I always thought I, I, we would be marginalized and everything. But I, I call her my wife. I know that it may put some people off. But at this age of us, who is imagining lesbianism, you know? We are yeah. all there. Do you, don't you think we're past that? Like, gosh, I mean, I think that there will be circles that will be put off by everything. Gosh. Yeah. You, uh, well, to, to come out on stage, I don't come out in the in the sense of, oh, oh, because I never had sexual jokes in my act. Yeah. I, I like out or in, I never talk about sexual relationship. I talk, remember when you saw me in Susan Maria, I talk about Rob Ford calling, the, talking about Doreen yeah. and his wife. Remember that yes. he had a lot of pussy to eat at home. Like that's the epitome of vulgarity for right, me. Right. And I, I just tell stories about her, let's say when we were to the Build a Bear store and I went to have the fight with the preachers at uh, Donda Square. And, and everything, but I, at the point that I tell the stories, I already know that the people like me. On yeah, stage. yeah, you've built up a connection, you've built up, a, built up a, a, connection. a connection. And a also, if, I think that a, being an older woman is not threatening. Right, if, if so you do you feel about, like you can get away with more now? Oh yeah, with, with about, about the lesbianism, yeah, because it's just oh, these two little ladies. And right. then it goes, we are not little. But these two, these two little old ladies, <laughs> Let me ask you this. Little. You were obviously brought up by parents that had strong personalities, strong points of view. And I wonder when did you start owning the title of activist? Was that when you first started comedy that you knew you were speaking through a comedic activist voice or was that something you adopted later on? No, I adopted later on because I became an activist. I am like a, the accidental activist. I have always, I have always been... We, all of us, who do yeah. this, the women who do this profession, we are all activists. And even if we don't call ourselves feminists, we are all feminists because of the mere nature of what we are doing. To be in a profession that implies communication in the same level that of men. And we are fighting. We are all in this fight to be that our voice is heard. But an activist, it was when I, I went on a trip to with the Nobel Women's Initiative. They invited me to go on this trip as a delegate to witness the, the stories of mothers who had lost children to the war, to the drug war in Mexico, okay. mm -hmm. in Guatemala and Honduras, to go to Guatemala, imagine where my family lives, to hear the testimonies of the atrocities that the Canadian mines had gone there like up to that moment, this is 2012. Up to that moment, I have I have been doing comedy from 1994, and I started touring in 1998. From 1998, I have been saying everywhere, I am a proud Canadian, I am a proud Canadian, and, and I was a proud Canadian because yeah, yeah. they never teach you atrocities in your citizenship test. They never, right. I, I always thought that, that the villains were the United States, all the the, the villains of this world. But when that was like an eye opener, and I started getting involved in more causes, 
that will fight against the minds, right, that will right. give voices to the mothers, uh, and started getting involved with the Nobel Women's Initiative. I yeah, am in yeah. no, in no way an activist as the activist that I have met. That that yeah, is yeah. their lives. They are they come they are, they have this compromise yeah. to you know to plan protests to help uh, you know. No, like, but you're doing the part that you can. Like there's some people that have been faced with moments of possible activism and have gone, I, I can't, I, it's not within me. And no. it seemed like you have turned into it and embraced it. And it's actually part of your comedy now. Yeah, it's part of my comedy, but I don't hit them in the head with a hatchet, yeah. although yeah. I would like to. But, <laughs> but uh, Depending, I get it. But you, you never know that that's, these are the times that we are living now. People think that we are living in the times of cancellation and political correctness, but the times that we are living are the times of racists and bigots having been empowered by the yeah. Trumpers. That's yeah. the time that we are living. I have never witnessed, I, I am so brokenhearted because even, even if I knew about the Canadian mines and all of that, that I tell you that I woke up to to the fact that Canada was not the perfect adoptive mother, even then I never knew that there were so many racists walking among us like, no i mean I, that's that's what trump did doesn't it it woke us yeah. up to the actual reality and i don't know about you but there is something not to say there's really anything positive about him being in power at all but there is something that really was good about the awareness that we weren't as advanced as we thought we were it leveled us it made us go oh we've got we've got more work to do than we realize and i think that's way better than pretending Canada is this great little country, America is this great little country. No, we've all got way more work than we realize. No, I never thought America was this great little country. <laughs> well, I mean, Obama, to me, like, when I Obama always, was in power, I was like, oh, that's, things are on changed. track. They have changed. I thought we thought with Obama, but he bombed a lot of people, too. You know, yeah. it's, it, is, it is the empire. Yes. Like, like, like what we're witnessing is the fall of the American empire, but we are ordering shit from Amazon. We are distracted and we get yeah. distracted with other fights like that, that are not important whatsoever. I found it interesting when I, when Trump was in power because I was obsessed yeah. with Trump because of the fact that my family and, and my immediate family and my cousins in Florida, they were Trumpers. Wow. Because they are they are afraid of communism. They have this fear of communism, and they thought that yeah. that Trump wasn't. It, it is it is this mentality. So I would put things about Trump day and night just to spite them. Since Trump left, I don't write anything about him. But I can, I am feeling the energy coming back. I can too. Yeah. What's your day look like now? Like when you wake up in the morning, what's the thing that lights the fire for for you in the morning? Well, besides Linda, hello. Besides Linda, no. When I wake up in the morning, this is the first thing I do, ah, because everything aches. Does everything ache for you? Everything. No, I don't everything. know things. I'm pretty good so far. I don't know. I'm everything to me. Everything is like when you have to fill in all of those uh, questionnaires to see if you have COVID. Do you? Do you have pain in your body? Yes. Always. For the last five years, right? For years, that is because I'm overweight, right? And, and I, did, I did a lot of exercises, never stretched at the point that we are not going to the gym is worse, but I, I have been having problems with my back. But what ignites me in the morning? In the morning, during the whole COVID thing, 
It has I, I entered um, a, a course of a short story writing in Spanish. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I am uh, I am supposed to be submitting a short story compendium, as you call it, like compilation. Wow. But you know, it's been so interesting because in stand-up comedy, you go directly, right? The, the information yeah. is very short. Right. You go to the punchline. In a, in, a, in a short story or in a story, you flavor, you smell, you describe the, the yeah. person. Yeah, and then you have to learn how to balance, how to like not stay in the, and then there was a horse and the color of the horse was silver. I had never, and then there was the smell of hay because yeah. you can go through the, the yeah, you can't side. just go right away. You'd have like really short stories otherwise. Exactly, otherwise. Yeah. And then uh, another thing I'm doing now is I'm taking a, a sitcom writing course yeah. because I thought, why not? Who says that I cannot write a sitcom no. even if I am not the star? Let's say I could be the crazy neighbor. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you should take yourself out of the game yet. I think your life is such a great story. I think that you sharing the story that, you know, that you just told me is would be gold. I, I'd watch that. Oh, thank you, Naomi. Yeah. That's, I'd also want to, I want to be your crazy neighbor. You want to be my crazy yeah. neighbor? <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm writing a story about a coyote, uh, you know, like one of those people that are smuggle people. Oh yeah, yeah. But he an unintentional a mule. No, they call them coyotes. Why? I thought they were called mules. Those are the ones that, that smuggle drugs. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> those are the different ones. Okay. Yeah, but it's a story about this this man who who believes that he's uh, invisible because he went to a witch, and the witch told him that as long as he was sprayed with chicken blood and then dressed completely in black, now he's invisible. And uh, I just begun writing about that, and I think I'm going to continue. I think it has potential. I love it. Hey, okay, let me ask you a side question. So you just said, like, it's about a man who thinks he's invisible, but why did you choose to write from a male perspective? And I don't know, you know, like, I just, uh, we were doing an exercise, and it just uh, it just occurred to me that uh, there was this man who once, who was working between the border of, uh, of Mexico and Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and, and this family asked him, oh, you know, like our car broke down. Can you give us a lift? And, they, and then he gave them, a, he was not so naive. Give, he, give them, they, he gives them a lift, but it, was, it turned out that they were really crossing the border illegally. Wow. And by a miracle, by a miracle, they didn't ask them papers or anything. Oh, you're passing. And then they passed, and then the family was so grateful to him. And then he felt that there was a purpose to his yeah. life. And he, he wanted to, to do this, but first he went to a Santera witch, to, a, to one of those witches that, uh, in, the, in the Yaruba. <laughs> oh, I have a story about that. <laughs> You're I telling know. me, like, you know those witches? I'm like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have witches. I mean, I had a couple of Russian mm -hmm. Baba Yaga witches growing up, but that was as far as my witches went. No, but you know, you have seen probably shows where those, the, the, the Santeria thing, but I'm boom, 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 boom. Yeah, okay, yes, 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 yes. Which are really African religions that became demonized by Catholicism, but they are as crazy as, as, as Catholicism, you know, like one thing is not more logical than the other, but so the witch said to him, well, if you want to continue doing this, really, you have to be uh, like baptized with the chicken blood, and then after you will always wear white, 
when you transport these people. And then even if they see you, they won't see you. So that's where we have it at the moment. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I have, I have stories from my childhood. I have the story of, uh, of the earthquake, which I have said on stage. Yeah. But, but written it, I mean, written, it gets completely another tone. Of course, and, yeah. And my problem is to go to the funny right away. Because right. I have a bam, boom, set up and punch, set up and punch. And, uh, but, but no, I, I, am, I am learning all of that. I think that, that a person has to always continue learning, yeah. whether you became a famous person or not. <laughs> I agree with you. Take classes all the time. I'm, so, I'm such a fan of that. I agree. All right, look, I think the world of you. I, this is what I love about you, is that the, the Martha I'm speaking to you here, the Martha I spoke to in my clothing swap is the same Martha you get on stage. Like it's the same smart, funny, passionate person. And I think that I would, I would watch that show. I want to watch that show. I want to see your stories. I think it's really important. We don't have oh. enough of Martha Chavez voices out there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh no, I wanted to tell you that I, I am very happy that now uh, ethnic kids and women have yeah. uh, better conditions maybe to grow yeah and that if i want if i can help anybody i will yeah because do you I feel like gonna... how's the how's that weight of responsibility for you for other latina latinx um people and not only latinx all of the ethnic people um la, la, you like feel responsible? i'm like their mother i feel yeah. i feel like i'm like their crazy mother somehow <laughs> not well there you're gonna all the letters the, are the letters but this, but this, uh, the, 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 the younger generation, oh, they don't take shit from anybody. More power to them if they want to be in safe rooms. But I am grateful that I, I cut my teeth in the hard rooms. Yeah. And it means that when I am in a safe room, it's heaven. Performing in well, heaven. You've, you've learned, though, too, like from the stages like in Ottawa, where somebody tells you, you're not good yet. You're not going to go to Letterman yet. And no. it has to level you, you so you can keep going. But I, 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 I thank him. I thank the manager yeah. from Ottawa because uh, he gave me perspective. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, work. but at the time, at the time, were you like, screw you? No, I just held my tears. Yeah. But he saw that and made him feel guilty forever because that's the way he is. <laughs> but I want to tell you something about wrestling. Wrestling, uh, like uh, when, at the beginning of my career, people would say, oh, we don't understand anything she, she says. Like when I did shows in Windsor or whatever, where it was right. harder. And they wrestling always kept me on the roster, always kept me, gave me work. And uh, yeah, like I, I thank him. Yeah. Well, you'll yeah. pass it down. I know you will pass it forward to other people, this kind of uh, support and cheerleading that you've, you've gotten over the years. I know it. Yeah. I, all we have, to, we have to aspire is not to be a dream breaker. You know, like when somebody no, has a dream. That's not our job. No, no, but 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 some people are dream breakers. Well, some I mean, the guy was, was it Breslin in Ottawa that told you you're not good? No, 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 was, Howie. No, Howie. So, but that guy when he Howie said, "Oh, you know what? You're not good yet." That could have been a dream breaker, but instead, yeah. it made you step back and go, "I'm going to work harder." So, I mean, sometimes, I don't know, like it's not our job to be a dream breaker, but also you can only open doors for people. You can't step through them for them. No, the thing is that, uh, that uh, I also am critical to myself and I, and I entertain the possibility. And I read a lot about comedy as to say, yeah, when you're new, it's impossible 
yeah. that you are good uh, as you think you are. Then there was a critic that destroyed me. It was uh, the, the, the night of St. Patrick's Day, and I did horrible because I was hammered, and the audience was hammered. And I see him, and then I say, don't say anything about this show because it's, it's not me. And he went and wrote an article and, and uh, said that he always hated the way I talked, uh. that my was shit. But I proved myself, I proved it. You won't destroy me. My mother once told me, do not believe do not believe when people tell you that you're that good or that bad. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Let's wrap it up with the turn the tables questions and you get to ask me a question and then we'll do our wrap ups. Okay, Naomi, how did you start uh, your career? I went to theater school and then I had the vision of like being a Shakespeare actor. Like I would go to Stratford, I would go to Shaw. And then I realized that I wanted to do comedy. And once I got Second City, I didn't look back after that. It's your people, you know, like you, you felt it when you met your, your people and you went, oh, I'm home. And I never felt that way anywhere else. No, and, uh, and did you uh, ever do stand up? Do you know when we were in um, Halifax shooting Mr. D, I did stand up a little bit because I had time to kill. Well, I didn't love it. It made me very nervous because improv, it's a different muscle. And I'd been practicing that for a long time. But uh, stand up made me really anxious. And I knew that if I wanted to get better, I was going to have to do my time with it. Like I was going to have to do a lot of shows. And at that time, I didn't want it badly enough. Yeah. So it's yeah. like I have, I have done a couple of times a sketch and improv, but I knew that that was not my home because I think that, that, that I am maybe too self-absorbed. I have no idea what it is, but yeah. I like to play solo. Although I have had a lot of fun playing with others and yeah. I had yeah, incredibly the, the improviser and the sketch people is, is something that I love to watch. Another thing I wanted to ask you, how about with your husband? He's also a comedian. Yeah, yeah. How is it? Is there competition? You know, that's interesting. I will say this. There's not like we both love working. I don't ever feel like we're in competition for working because we're in very different categories. <laughs> I'll never get cast for things that he would get cast in. And we do so much together. And also, do you know what? I think because we came up together in Second City, we have a very unusual thing, which I feel is neither one of us is the straight man when we host things together or when we do like a duo stand-up, which I love. I love doing a duo stand-up because then there's like playfulness. Yes. So I never feel like, oh, I'm just here to support you. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I would feel not so great about that. And we've had people write scripts for us before that are Matt doing all the funny stuff and me doing the, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more, Matt. <laughs> oh, that's fun. And no such boring lines. And we're just like, that's just not the way we work. I have a laugh and he gets a laugh. And we, yeah, I don't think, I don't think I'm competitive with him. Do you write every day? Um, I would say most days. I try just to keep my muscles going because it's something I realized recently that you can't pretend to be an actor or an artist and not exercise those muscles regularly. You know, you yes. can't go to sleep for two weeks and watch TV for two weeks. And then on the third week going, I'm going to create brilliance. You have to keep your muscles going. So um, I try to write as much as I can. I don't love writing, so I, I have to force myself. Who do you admire? Like when you were, let's say you, you wanted to do Elizabeth and... English, you wanted to do Shakespeare. Who did you admire then, as opposed to who did you admire when you decided that improv uh, was your thing? And yeah, 
that, I mean, that should have been a sign to me, Martha, because when I was little, I didn't admire like Shakespearean actors. I admired like Catherine O'Hara and Andrea Martin and Jane Eastwood. So those folks, I was like, oh, so I, I should have clued in early that I wasn't going to be a Shakespearean <laughs> actor. But uh, I still, those, those three women have helped define me as a, as a comedian for sure. Wow, yeah, yeah, that, this is incredible. I forgot that we had those three women. Yeah. But a stand-up, I mean, like, uh, as a role model for stand-ups in reality, I confess that my favorite stand-ups are men. Like, but isn't uh, that interesting? Like, it's almost like you have to challenge yourself because when people say, like, who are your favorite female stand-ups? Like, I have to go, okay, who are they? And I have to make sure that I speak their name out loud so that it reverberates into other people's thoughts and when they think of other stand-ups or if I introduce uh YouTube clips of yours or like Anna Gustafson's or like you know there's tons of amazing female stand-ups in our community yeah no no I admire a lot of my of my uh, peers but I mean when I was coming up I admire George Carlin he's my yeah. my quintessential yeah um, you said Robin Williams Robin but then you Williams. had Lily Tomlin too like Lily Tomlin rocked my world I thought she was extraordinary and I admire Lily because also she didn't talk anything sexual. She Not that I have anything against anybody talking sexual, but because I was gay, there were no people like Roxanne, that I am I am a domestic goddess. I couldn't I could, I could identify with Roxanne. Um, because there was a time of like, you know, uh, booby humor, like women with big breasts as they were, they were the, the brunt of people's jokes. And I didn't understand how I fit into that comedy. But then Catherine O'Hara came along and Andrew Martin, and there were these great characters that I was like, amazing. oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah. Okay, listen, we have to wrap it up. I'm gonna give you your wrap up questions okay. and then we'll say goodbye, which I don't wanna do, but uh, you know, I can talk to you forever. <laughs> okay, uh, fill in the blank for me. To me, a firecracker is? A firecracker is a catching fling. <laughs> uh, what do you want to be best known for? I want to be best known for my body. What a great body that woman has. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, what's something that people don't know about you? I am uh, a studious of history. Okay. Very All history. Serious. World history. World history. Yeah. Okay. And I plan world domination. I, I mean, I think people, I think people after this discussion, people kind of <laughs> expect that. Yeah. What's something that you haven't done yet, but you know, you have to do eat, eat carbs. That's what I want to do and not gain weight. You know what I want to do, but I think it's going to sound, uh, it's going to sound um, self-promotion. I want to have a part in a sitcom. That's what I want. I, I want love it. Hear that universe? I don't you think that's it. far from your reach, my friend. I don't. I don't. What has been the best advice you ever received? The best advice I ever received was uh, that. Work hard. Never believe uh, good critics. And never believe bad critics. Yes. What's the worst advice you ever got? The perm. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the firecracker in your world that you can shine the light on? Linda. Of Linda course. is my firecracker in the cats. I, you know what? I've never met Linda, but I feel like every time you speak of Linda, you just say the name Linda and you just glow. I just think she must be an extraordinary, extraordinary person. It is, you know, at night I touch her to see that she's not dead because if she died, if she died, I will die. I will have to die too. 
You uh, know what I mean? It's a, it's, I it's a question. It's, a, it's, it's this love, 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 love. I never thought that I was going to love somebody like I love her. But not, yes. uh, not in the way that I loved before, that it was clingy. But with Linda, I am, I am so secure mm. in her love and she's secure in my love. It's, I think it's a question of maturity, of when people reach this kind of maturity, we're going to die soon. So love each other mm -hmm. the most that you can. And we, and we do a lot of interesting things. We have become two male homosexuals. We go to musicals all the time. All the, We are crazy about musicals. We are mm -hmm. members of Mirvish. That's what I would love to do, you know, a musical. Yes, 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 yes. A musical, yes. Final question, advice, advice to your younger self. What would you have said to Martha when she was 10 years old as advice? I would have said, be honest with your mom. Don't lie. Tell her exactly who you are because she's going to love you as you are. Don't mm -hmm. fear. Mm-hmm. Well, I love you as you are. And I'm so, so happy we had this time together. I said, I'm your crazy neighbor when you write your sitcom or I'm in the front row of your audience when you do your next stand up. I just think, I think you're really amazing. Thank you. Me too, Naomi. It's a mutual admiration society. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I ever do write a good sitcom, you're going to be in it. Okay. I promise. All right. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Let's I love make you. it happen. Love you too. Bye-bye. Okay. See you next Bye. time. See you next time. I mean, don't you just love her? You just finish a discussion with her and you've just got a little bolt of Martha energy. Yeah, you've been Marthaed. For the latest updates on Martha, follow her on Twitter at the Martha Chavez, on Instagram and Facebook at comedian Martha Chavez. After listening to Martha's episode, head over to Apple Podcasts to listen to Martha's podcast, When Feminists Rule the World. For more info, go to feministrulestheworld.com and we got you in our show notes. Now, so you are in the know for everything that's happening at Firecracker Department, head over to our website, firecrackerdepartment.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our newsletter to get the inside scoop with all the upcoming events like writing bursts, mentorship workshops, wellness mini moments, script reading series, the monthly blog post, I mean, just to name a few, brunches. Oh my gosh, there's so much going on. And we have it all in our events calendar on our website. So go check that out and come join us for one of our events, like our writing bursts that happen Thursdays at noon Eastern time and 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's right, twice on Thursdays. So firecrackers from around the world can join in the creative fun. I love, I love, love, love. If you haven't had a chance to join one of these bursts, jump in. There's nothing that you need to prepare. You don't even need to turn your camera on if you don't want to. It's just a chance to have a good writing workout and hang out with some fellow firecrackers from all over the world. Thank you for joining me today. I sure love it and I sure do appreciate all the feedback that comes our way from our podcast and from all the different events that happen in our community. Thanks for joining me and we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music, and thanks to you, yeah, you, sitting there, 
driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there, and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time. Bye.